So, we're going to continue in uh, Esther's book. We're still in chapter 2. So I'm going to have them put it up on the screen. But before we read it, I kind of want to do a little background here. Uh, I had a little extra time to read this week, having been sick. So I, I actually had two days off. I didn't necessarily have too much time those two days, but the last couple of days where I felt better. And, you know, this story is absolutely intriguing me. Um, so I have some comments about it, uh, the history, and, and there's some twists and turns in this story uh, that we're going to uh, see and I've already seen. Uh, first thing I want to mention is uh, we kind of have to have a little bit of a background to understand these people. Uh, Mordecai and Esther are what are known as post-exile um, Jews. Uh, the term they use is uh, exilic, post-exilic Jews. What does that mean? Well, if we know anything about um, what happened to the Jews, what was prophesied by the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, they were warned if they didn't return to God, if they didn't uh, stop disobeying him and sinning against him, that he was going to take them into exile. And, and, and they did. They went into exile. Nebuchadnezzar took them into uh, exile. And it was in three waves. So the really... Um, the rich and uh, the wealthy and the, the educated, they went first, and then the middle class, if you will, and then finally the lower, poor socioeconomic groups went last. And the, uh, 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 Nebuchadnezzar absolutely destroyed Jerusalem. And that makes you think uh, there, there was a, an amazing uh, uh, hatred for the Jews. It absolutely destroyed their temple and carried them all away. And now we're looking at these people like 110 years later. So they were in exile for 70 years. And then Ezra had already been given the command to go back 40 years before this story. So uh, this was prophesied. Cyrus gave the decree that's found in Isaiah, to, uh, permitted them to return. But here's the interesting fact. We don't get this part. It's kind of... Hard to understand the situation that we find Esther and Mordecai. Very few people returned to their homeland. Uh, the greater number of them uh, had made a place for themselves in the land of their captivity. And they, they chose to remain. They, they made a home in, ex, in their, the home. They made their home in the place where they had been taken captive. And... Uh, one of the things that we know for sure is uh, anti-Semitism. It wasn't an easy life. Uh, you can use the word anti-Semitism and you think about Nazi Germany in our, in our history, uh, well, in the last hundred so years. Uh, what is anti-Semitism? It's a tendency or an attitude of systemic hostility toward the Jews. And it always has been a curse among the nations where they went. Uh, that is, where God's people, the Jews, went. Uh, and that's the same case in Persia. So kind of keep this in our, the back of our minds when we look at the way they do things and why they do things the way they do them. So I'm going to present with you uh, today some ideas, some angles uh, out there to explain some of the the things we run into in this story, and I'll let you choose which one you like better, or you can come and tell me which one you think it is, or something that I didn't even come up with. Um, but we're at that point then that they had gone into Babylon after having uh, destroyed Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar, and then in Babylon, they're no longer in charge, and here come the Persians. And then these feelings of hatred towards the Jews remained. A couple other things too. Uh, it basically say, and I know that there are some people here whose family immigrated to the United States. You leave behind your life. And you bring, but you, you know, they say, and, uh, and I, I don't mean to say it in a disrespectful way, but 
there is a saying, you can take the Mexican out of Mexico, but you can't take the Mexico out of the Mexican. He's all, they, you, bring their, you bring your culture to the new place that you live in, right? Uh, I was talking with Brother Zavala, Pastor Zavala, <laughs> and he gave, we were just talking a little bit about this. I was kind of bouncing some stuff off him yesterday, and it's like, for instance, uh, they serve some ham and cheese croissants. Well, the group that prepared them, this Spanish-speaking group, well, that's, that's kind of a, that's not really a Mexican, if you will, type of food. But do you make it Mexican when you stick jalapenos in it, right? <laughs> you kind of conform. You kind of get comfortable in this place that you're living, right? You start to adapt things. So it's interesting, that angle, and I wanted you to just think about it. Am I saying that's right? No, I'm not saying it's right necessarily for a Christian to conform to the world. I'm just going to say that it happens. Doesn't it? Isn't the world put pressure on us? Where we live, where we work. Just keep that in your minds as we read this. So I have a lot of questions. One of them is Mordecai is a pagan name. That's not actually a Jewish name. It's a Persian name. And it comes from Marduk, which was a Persian male deity. So he's named after a pagan deity. Esther's name, which means star, but it is a deference, or in other words, it comes from the Persian goddess Ishtar. Now, if you know anything about Ishtar, that's where you read in at least the old King James Version when it references the Resurrection Sunday as Easter. Easter is not in the original text, but the, the holiday, Passover, is. And they just call it Easter from Ishtar, and it's a pagan goddess. They now have... Persian names, yet they're Jews. We know that this, uh, Esther's name is actually Hadassah. That's her real name, which means Myrtle. It's the Jewish name. Well, it's like, for instance, me. <laughs> my parents came to the United States. My mother struggled in her pregnancy. I was a preemie. The doctors told my parents, hey, call the priest. You know, my dad wasn't going to call the priest. He called the pastor. And, uh, you know, we were in danger of maybe not surviving. Uh, that basically um, early birth. And then my mom named me after the doctor, Robert. And then, of course, being in the United States, the nickname for Robert is Bob. What does Bob have to do with Spanish? Nothing. Roberto does, but not Bob. And then my name is hard to say for my Spanish and my cousins in Mexico. They don't call me Bob. They call me Bob. Bob. What am I trying to say? Do you see how easy it is to be somewhere? And by the way, they shouldn't have been there. They should have gone back when Cyrus gave the decree with Ezra. And there were a couple waves. So that's a little bit of the history. You can kind of let that bounce around a little bit. And let's read the story. So if you don't mind, I'm going to just uh, pray for the sermon. And we're just going to take it verse by verse. But if you want to stand with me as we pray for the sermon. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you and we just ask you to help us this morning to see this story and to see the history and what you're doing behind the scenes. How it is, Lord, that you overrule. How it is, Lord, that you are absolutely and completely in control of everything. We see this from this story. But it wouldn't mean too much if we didn't apply it to our lives where we're at and what we're wrestling with and struggling with. 
the difficulties that we face today. But you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So my prayer, Lord, is at the end of the sermon that we would run to you even harder and faster and cling to you, Lord, knowing, Father, that in you we find our purpose, in you we find our satisfaction, in you we find our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what matters. He is taking our lives in a direction which is best for us and for your glory, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So it says there, if you look up at the screen, chapter 2, at verse 8, that's kind of where I'm going to pick up at. It says, so when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were granted, uh, rather gathered in Susa, the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther was, also was taken into the king's palace and put into custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. So remember there was this order to have this beauty pageant. And there we read that Esther was there too. Doesn't really say how she got there. Like, like did her uncle like came to her and say, hey, you know what I heard? I heard they're having a, this beauty pageant. And the winner gets to be queen. I, we don't know that necessarily. Possibly, right? Could it be that because the king decreed it, they just went out and looked for all the beautiful women? And there she was, swept up into the, the harem of 400 that were going to be in, involved in this, in this beauty pageant, right? I, I don't know. It doesn't say. But we could put a little bit of thought into it, right? And so it says there that that's what happened. And then verse 9, and when the young woman pleased him. Who did the young woman, Esther, please? He, he, she pleased uh, Haggai. He was in charge of the women. It pleased him and won his favor. And, and it's like the Holy Spirit told me, I want you to go back and talk about this. What was it that pleased him? Obviously, she wasn't the only beautiful woman in the, in, in the bunch. Was it the inner beauty also that Peter talks about that we are as Christian wives to strive to present before our husbands and, and, and the world before us as Christian ladies not just the beauty on the outside on the exterior but the in, inner beauty was it that grace that, that the, maybe even the Holy Spirit moved in his heart to to, to point her out among all of them because there's so many. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. The Lord's working. And she stood out. And it says here that he was pleased. It, this uh, Esther pleased uh, the, uh, um, the custodian of, the, of these women, the guy, and won his favor. She's a winner. She won. Why? Because she won his, what? Favor. Favor, and depending on your translation, the idea here is that she graced him. Notice grace is involved here in her being selected. And grace, God's unmerited favor, is the principal motivation for why we are also chosen. Not for us. It pleases him. Grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but we get to enjoy it. We're blessed with it. The major doctrine of especially the New Testament, but also the Old Testament as we're reading, it says he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food with seven chosen young woman from the king's palace. So she had these servants to just tender her and advanced her. So not only was he pleased with her, not only did she win his favor, she was provided with special treatment and advanced, promoted. She progressed because of this one man. 
and he was in charge. There's something about authority that we need to learn. Who's above all names? Jesus. And he establishes authorities. Yes, he even established the authority of this king. This pagan king was an authority and he was the most powerful man and at that time it was the most powerful empire the world had ever seen. God put him there. So if he chose Haggai to be in charge of the women, who's really in charge? Anybody want to throw it out at me? Who's really in charge? God is. <laughs> if we don't get that out of this story, we don't, we don't learn anything. And even the grace that was found in Haggai, that what he found in her, Esther, pleased him and won his favor, gave her special treatment and advanced her. It's all there in verse 9. Any advancement, any favor, any blessings, any position, any promotion, anything we obtain in this life as Christians is from God's grace. Everything and anything you have is because he is good. All good gifts come from above. Where is, from the one which there is no shadow of turning. He doesn't give us good things and then change his mind. Now we could abuse those things. That's a different story. Not for today. So Esther had not made verse 10. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to finish verse 9. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food. And with seven chosen uh, uh, young women for the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Notice those words. Notice those words. Pleased. Won his favor. Provided. Advanced. Best. What? Place. Man, when God's grace is in our lives, there isn't anything better. That's, that, that's all found in one verse. And here I have to go through the whole book. <laughs> I feel bad for you guys. But you're going to learn. I promise you. So Esther had not made known her people and kindred. For Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. I'm going to come back to this verse later. What did she do? She hid her identity. I'll leave it there for now because it's going to come up later. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. So apparently he was concerned about her. He wanted to know how it was going with her. He loved her. It was her, her, she was his adopted daughter. There was a relationship here between her and Mordecai, her cousin. Verse 12. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, when the turn came... For each young woman to go to King Ahasuerus after being 12 months under the regulation for the women. By the way, that was to guarantee that they weren't pregnant. Remember, they had to be virgin. They were going to be the queen. The, they were going to be queen, and then they had to make sure that the, if there was a child, that it was actually the king. So that was, and not only that, for you men who kind of get upset a little bit about how long your wife or your girlfriend takes to put on her makeup and get ready, this was how long? A year. So don't worry about it if it takes too long at your house. It's okay. It's nothing. It took six months with um, of oil of myrrh, beautifying oil, and six months with spices and ointments for women. So it took 12 months, uh, and she was really uh, fixed up, right? Uh, made, smelled good, looked good, uh, uh, and so on. And when the young woman went into the king in this way, she was giving whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. Who, did, who gave her whatever she desired to take? The king. When she went into the king, he started liking her. 
says that she could take whatever she wanted with her back to the palace, the harem. In the evening, verse 14, she would go in and in the morning she would return to the second harem in the custody of uh, Shasgaz. That's an interesting name for, for one of your children. The king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again. In other words, she could not be in his presence or go to him again unless he called for her. So it says that, unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. A lot of rules in those cultures when it came to, especially in the, in the royalty and all the procedures there. Verse 15, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of uh, Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. So she subjected herself to Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the women. He says, because she had already, she had already found favor with him. So why wouldn't she subject himself to, to him? She could see how that this was benefiting her. And it goes on to say, um, now Esther, last part of 15, notice how it says this, was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. So no longer was it just the eunuch in charge. No longer was it she delighting the king. Everyone found she found favor with. Talk about God's hand moving behind the scenes. You see, it's everyone. Not just the king, not just the eunuch, but everyone who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won, look what she won. What did she win? She won the pageant, but she also won what? Grace and favor in his sight more than all the other virgins. So that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vasti. Then the king gave a great feast for all of his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Everybody benefited from this encounter with Esther, who would be his queen. It's kind of like they say uh, trichonomics or trichonomics. Everything came, went down to everyone else. Everyone was blessed. How is that possible? That all this good stuff happens because of God's grace. Because of God's favor. Amen? So, let's talk a little bit about that particular thing. She finds favor. She's given special treatment. She wins the king chooses her to be queen. And then there's actually a feast that's celebrated in her name. Esther's Feast. Pretty big deal, isn't it? Don't you think? This is God's grace. This is the hand of God. Even in these kind of awkward and kind of weird circumstances that we're reading about. How this all came to be. Right? And what we have come to understand too is that this is a sign of God's providence. What does providence mean? It means provision. God's provision. He permitted it. It was ordered by him. And it was the step forward advancement in his program. Because there might be those things that were happening in Persia for Persia. But behind the scenes, God is looking out for the Jewish nation, those that lived in that region. So again, as I told you last week, there's a story behind the story. So now if I don't apply this to you, how do you like your story? I did some dwelling on this this week. I had time to. And sometimes I look back at my past, I'm like, what happened? It wasn't my plan, <laughs> most of the stuff. And I'm not complaining. Because I realize at the same time, and in, 
in light of everything that I've experienced, that God has been present in my life and has blessed me. I'm highly favored. It doesn't mean we don't go through difficulties. It doesn't mean that we don't have suffering in our lives or illness or tragedy. It doesn't mean any of that. In spite of it, your life, when it's directed by God, and if you come to understand that, is a blessing. So you've got to take these principles of this story and ask yourself, how's your life going? Well, you might say uh, on the surface, Pastor, it, excuse me, it sucks on the surface. You know, in the flesh, you know what I'm talking about, superficially. But wait a minute, I got good news for you. This story, this book is telling us that although you have a history that we're all witnessing, there's a story behind your story where God's in control. And he has purposes and he has a plan for your life. Doesn't that excite you? I'm going to tell you, it's because of his sovereignty. It's because of his providence. It's because of his grace that I'm in this till the end. Because I want to, like Paul, to discover, and I think we all should want to discover the reason for which he apprehended us. Paul says in Philippians, I want to apprehend or lay hold of the reason for why he laid hold of me. That's where you find your true purpose, from your creator. He didn't make a mistake with you. I don't know if this excites you or not. It excites me. That's what we see. So, quite an amazing journey for Esther. Right? Up to this point, yes. An amazing, kind of like an impossible journey. This, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. Or does it? So you can say the same for yourself. Mine, my story, my life has been quite an amazing journey. Can you say that? If you can't, you need to remove the blinders and see the story behind the story and who's behind it. Amen? So God's going to put Esther. Listen, this is important at this point because one of the benefits that I have it, that they didn't have in the story is that I can look forward to the rest of the story and pull it into right now and into this moment and we're at in the passage. God is going to put her on the throne. And who is she going to be sitting next to? The king. Why does he want her sitting next to the king? Why does he want her? And as I tell the couples that are getting married and counseling, why would he give you special privilege to your husband's ear? Nobody has your husband's ear more than you. Why do you have that special place? Believe me, ladies, and I've said it to those that are going through marriage counseling, do not let the world tell you that because you're a woman or because you're a wife or because the culture says that the man, no, 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 no. You have something no one else has. His attention. You take it even as far as to say, you get to sleep with him and whisper into his ear and say, hey, you know what? I got an idea. Oh, hey, you know what? I'm concerned about something. Hey, did you know that this or that or the other is going on in your kingdom? Oh, really, wife? Queen? Doll? Sugar baby? Yeah, that's the kind of attention she's going to get. And so God's going to put Esther on the throne next to the king. And we know why. The reason is because if she's not there on the throne next to him, the whole nation of Israel is going to be destroyed in Persia. Where has God put you? Because wherever you are, 
sorry, back, I got it backwards. Wherever you go, there you are. Well, I don't like where I go. I know, me neither sometimes, but that's where you are. I don't think it's fair. It doesn't matter if it's fair. It is. But what do we do now? We understand that God is in control and that he's maneuvering this, the, 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 the sticks, if you will, and the gears, if you will, to your life. And everything is going to work out the way he wants it to because he has a special interest in this group of people called the Jews. They're his beloved. Right? Let me tell you why. God's not going to allow their destruction. Why? Because of his word. What do you mean, pastor? Because he gave his word in a covenant to Abraham. What did he say to him in Genesis 12, 1 through 3? He said, now the Lord said to Abraham when he was in the land of Ur, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, Israel. Right? And I will. Who will? I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3 is important. I will bless those that bless you and him or who dishonors you or he who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A reference to Christ. Why is God going to not allow the destruction of the Jews? Because he's a faithful keeper of his promises. That's who you serve. That's who loves you. And he's working in your life even, all, even though you don't see it. We don't hear his name once in this book. And yet he's there silently working and making and setting up everything to be a blessing ultimately for his people, the Jews. The plot to destroy them hasn't even occurred yet. And yet he's already setting it up. The stage. That's why I serve him. What about you? Does that inspire you? Does that make you want to run to him and say, the best place I could ever be is in your grace and in your presence? Yes. A thousand times yes. Amen? We can do great things if that becomes our mantra, if you would. If that becomes the verse or the, the, uh, the Bible principle that directs and guides our lives. That God has re resources that we don't know anything about. God has plans we don't know anything about. But we can trust Him. Because he will be faithful even if we're not. Because he's always going to keep his word. So a little bit of something to say on that. Mordecai discovers a plot at verse 19. So it says here, Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. I guess he was a gatekeeper. That was his assignment. And then there's a verse 20, something that said that is interesting. Esther had not made known her kindred, that is her, her nationality, her family, her people, the Jews. As Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. Remember, he adopted her. He became like her father. And we see that even though she's already been chosen by the king, she's still obedient to her father. Isn't that interesting? That's her relationship there. Now here's the question. I'm going to spend the rest of the time, a few more minutes, 
looking at this particular part that uh, for whatever reason I wasn't able to, I was kind of just trying to read it and not touch it, you know. I'm not going to talk about this. Okay, so they, they uh, kept, she keeps her Jewish identity a secret is what it's saying. And this was because that's how she was instructed by her cousin, her adopted father. She was not to reveal her heritage. Mordecai hid his too and taught her to do the same. And that's what we saw at verse 10, right? Why would they keep their identity a secret? Well, remember before I talked about anti-Semitism, discrimination, and the hatred of those nations that took them into exile like Babylonia and Nebuchadnezzar and how they destroyed their Jerusalem in the temple. And that hatred exists even today. We saw it in Nazi Germany. Put yourself in their shoes for a minute. And there may be some here who have suffered discrimination. Right? You know, we're a country obsessed with racism. You know, if your color is different, if you speak a different language, if you eat different food. Ooh, what's that? What, this worm I'm eating? Something nutritious. What do you mean? Why do you have grasshoppers like potato chips with your sandwich? That's my culture. And people are freaked out over differences. But there's no different then either. So they had that going against them. Let's remember, though, that God had chosen Israel to be his special people, his uh, custodians or the caretakers of this covenant that he made with Abraham. Remember, let's remember that they were supposed to be separate from the world, different, holy, set apart. I don't know how many different ways to put it. That they were not permitted to marry a non-Jew. They were not permitted to worship the pagan gods. They were not to embrace the culture of the pagans. They had their own culture. They had their own laws. They had their own temple. They had theirs, right? They had their way of worshiping. They had their way of living. They had their way of loving. That's who the Jews were. That's how special they were. So then, did they always succeed at being separate, the Jews? Do you always succeed at being separate? You're not of the world, but you're in the world. But sometimes you're of the world. Does the culture invade our lives? Or do we conform to the culture? Does the culture put those pressures on us? We're living thousands of miles away from where we were before. Just you have to look and consider those things. Yeah. There were times too when those long line of corrupt Jewish kings were wicked and the next one was worse than the one before. And that's why eventually they forgot about God and that's why God allows them to go into exile because he wants their attention. And they cried on the banks of the river Euphrates wishing we could just go back to our temple. But when you had it, you didn't care for it. That's who they are. They're a stiff-necked people. Rebellious. And now, they're in captivity. And in that captivity, they begin to eat and drink and dress just like the Persians. And yet, they have the weight of a possible if you will, in this particular case, genocide, destruction of their culture. That's the pressure they lived under. So you ask the question, why did they not identify themselves? That's one of the obvious reasons. And I know there might be someone here who say, well, bless God, I will always make it known that I'm a Christian. And even to the death. That's the way it should be. It's not always the way it is. I wrestle with this. As God's people, we don't always live the way we're supposed to. That's the fact. Some do it better than others. That's a fact too. Some do it worse than others. That's a fact too. Am I saying it's right? I am in no way saying it's right. I'm just saying that's how it is. And that's what this story presents to us. 
And that's our battle every day. To be conformed more into the image of Christ and less in the image of the world. To be more Christ-like and less like myself. That's why when Jesus called his disciples, he says, take up your cross and follow me. The cross meant die to self and live for me by following him. Not an easy thing to do given the circumstances that they were facing. Given the fact that God was getting their attention by having them taken into exile. And yet Mordecai and Esther are at a place in the history of this nation in Persia where they disguise their identity. Weren't they not trained in the ways of the Torah? Were they not to cherish their identity as God's covenant people? Yes. Yet Mordecai and then he instructs Esther to be silent about his identity. And so often we are too. We're silent to share the gospel for someone that needs to hear it. We're so silent that Jesus in the book of Revelation knocks on the door of one of the churches, Laodicea, I believe it was. I might be wrong. One of them, of the seven. And is asking to go in. He's standing outside the door of his own church. Isn't that an altar call for sinners? This is a repentance call for the church. They lost their identity. They were silent about who they were. They had conformed because of the pressures and the circumstances in Persia. When they faced a, what you could call a perfect storm and a dilemma that was difficult and there's only one thing that I could arrive to. They aren't perfect. But are we perfect? No way. Yet, God uses them. That's what fascinates me. Yet, God uses imperfect people. We're crackpots, according to one of Paul's epistles. We're pots with cracks, vessels with cracks. And yet, He chooses to fill us with His Spirit. Right? It was God's plan to save Israel. Listen. It took me hours to get to this conclusion because I wanted it to be as close to right as possible. It was God's plan to save Israel in spite of them denying their faith and their identity. God's going to still save Israel because he's faithful to himself in spite of their unfaithfulness. And you would say, oh man, here's the problem. Uh, I'm having trouble with that with that pastor. You're talking about Esther and you're talking about Mordecai. Yes, they, be, they become great characters of the Old Testament. But at this moment, they weren't. They were becoming. And that's the point. We're becoming. We're in the walk of faith. We haven't finished the race. So don't be so hard on yourself. You're going to mess up. You're going to flounder. You're going to have regrets. But the Holy Spirit and God's faithfulness and God's grace will keep you moving forward. That's what's going on. Bible characters are complex. Right? They're not like these one-dimensional figures that we see in our Sunday school class curriculum boxes. <laughs> if you were raised in church, you know what I'm talking about. You can't just take them and stick them back in a box and they fit perfectly. They don't. They're, 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 they're complicated. We're complicated. I'll give you some examples. You know what Moses was before he was the liberator of Israel? He was a murderer. Do you know that Joseph, because we studied him not too long ago, was a very immature young man before he became a prince? 
the apostle Peter proclaimed Jesus on the day of Pentecost, but had denied him on the eve of his crucifixion? The same man. Right? So the Bible has all these people. Okay, so I'm almost done. Hang in there. The Bible has all these people like Esther and Mordecai. That's right. I, did I say people? Guess what they were? Real people. Guess who they're like? They're like you and they're like me. That's where sometimes we fail to put flesh and blood on these stories. Right? They had their good moments. You have your good moments. They had their bad moments, like when they hide their faith because they're afraid they're going to die or be persecuted. Right? And we tend to see them, uh, that is Esther and Mordecai, we tend to see them as these solid rock believers that they never wavered, they never uh, shirked their duties. They, 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 hey, they saved the nation of Israel. I mean, that's something big, right? It, it took courage, yes. But not before they didn't. Okay, what are you saying, Pastor? Let me repeat that part. It took courage to stand for your identity. And they did, but not before they didn't. They didn't at first stand for their faith. They didn't at first represent their heritage. They disguised it, but then they did. And that's what matters. I'll put it to you another word. They disguised their identity until they didn't disguise it. Because there came a moment where they had to step up. And they did. And that's how it is with you and I. When we go through our difficulties and our challenges. Right? So, it reminds me of Nicodemus. You remember him, the Pharisee? One of the rulers, the 70 rulers of Israel. They were like the Supreme Court of the day when Jesus walked the earth and had his ministry. And they had heard about him, the Pharisees. And they became his opponent. He became a challenge to them. He was a threat to their franchise. They had like a McDonald's thing going on for the temple. They were raking in the dough. What do you mean, Pastor? Yeah, they had a good. Their corruption. Those in power. And Jesus shows up and he starts teaching like no one ever had before. And people start following Jesus and they felt threatened. And Nicodemus, though, had a wrestling match going on in his heart. Because he knew that no one could do the things he did except he was from God. So... He didn't want any of his colleagues to know that he was going to go have a conversation with him. So he hid in the night to seek out Jesus. And here's my point. He went at night, but he went. They hid their identity, and then they didn't. You know why? Because at the right moment, and that's the whole theme of this, at such a time as this, they stood up and they represented their faith and God delivered them. But in the beginning of the story, this is the kind of thing we have to wrestle with and it's true for us also. Amen? So, I think it's uh, important to re realize and say that normally there's never a good reason to hide your faith. Okay? I'm just going to say that outright. It's never a good reason to hide your faith normally. And I believe that they didn't want to permanently hide it. And this is evident in, because we see Mordecai begin to tell Esther what to do and what to say. 
and ultimately leading to the rescue of the Jewish people. Amen? Apparently, God can still use us even when we're not in his will. Because we will be. <laughs> I will not confusing you, but that's how it is. We're all growing. We're all progressing in our faith and in our walk. We're going to mess up. We're not going to do it right sometimes. But we don't stay there. We keep moving forward. Amen. And his grace allows it. Thank God for his grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Let your word uh, find a place, a home in our hearts. And the lessons, Lord, that we're learning. And we see the lives of Esther and Mordecai. And especially we see how it is that you are operating behind the scenes. Always to benefit us and to bless us. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your patience. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. And we want to continue, Lord. And we ask you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name for this. Amen. So now it's time for the offering. So let's take it. I'm going to come down here if I can pray. <coughs> Man, I survived the coughing. <laughs> Anybody here love the Lord? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We want to love you in a different way right now, and that's in our giving, where we demonstrate, Lord, uh, how much we trust you with provision by giving, Lord, for the needs of the church. Lord, we know that every good gift comes from above, and Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to be able to share uh, uh, for the benefit of this ministry and for the preaching of the gospel here in the name of Jesus being lifted up. Thank you and bless the giver, we pray. And those who are going to uh, decide how it's going to be used, may it be for your honor. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.